If I were to ask you, why do you believe what you believe? Why do you believe what you believe? Is it because, well, God's Word says it, so I believe it. God's Word is enough for you to have an established faith. But there are times when you want a little more, a little confirmation, a little evidence, a little assurance. Because I do think for all of us there are times when when we're going through a valley or difficulty or a time period where, where not a lot is happening. And we'd like to know, God, you're there. I know you say you're there, but I want to feel you're there. That you know what's going on in my life, that you care about what's going on in my life. I like something more. And so when we think of this, and we see it all through Scripture, particularly we're going to see it here in, in Exodus, the first couple chapters, but we, we are like that. Lord, show me a sign. Give me some assurance. Give me some evidence. Help me out with this. And we, we can understand that. We have a struggle often with following God because the nature of this following Him is by faith. And faith is believing in something you can't see. And sometimes it's following something you don't really feel. Jesus said to Nicodemus in the third chapter of John, we, we, this is probably one of the most familiar chapters of all the Bible, but He says the Spirit is working and he said, it's like the wind. Uh, you don't see it, but you, you see the effect of it. And it's the same work of the Spirit. In he- Hebrews chapter 11, it describes and really defines what faith is. And, and the reason this is important is because we're called to live by faith. We're called to walk by faith. The whole nature, the whole existence of the Christian life is to live by faith. In other words, following some, someone you don't see, visibly see. And sometimes listening to to things and doing things where you're not feeling that. In Hebrews 11, 1 and 2, it says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, and the conviction or the evidence of things not seen. It said, For by it the ancients or the people of old received their commendation. In other words, God approved that. God blessed them. God commended living by faith. So having assurance and conviction and belief and strong belief in things that we can't see or things that we can't feel. I can think back. Diane and I were talking about this this morning uh, or drinking coffee about when we look back, the the heart cry that we have to God, Lord, just kind of give us some assurance, give us some validation, give me... Maybe not said it that way, give me a sign. Um, I'm not going to go outside and look at cloud formations. But I just want to know, Lord, you're there. I just know, am I doing the right thing? Am I, am, I, am, I, am I following the right path? And I think that all of us will experience those things. And I think a couple things that will help build our faith. The words of God and the works of God. I've always felt that God's words... Because we say faith comes by hearing, hearing by God's word. That's found in Romans um, 10, 17. 
So faith is strengthened, built up by God's Word. So when you read God's Word, study God's Word, memorize, commit it to memory, go back to God's Word, it helps to strengthen your faith because God's Word is truth. And when we say what is truth, truth is reality. So God's Word, if you separate yourself from it, or you're not reading it, you're not studying it, you're kind of slacking off, which we all can go through those times where we're not in God's Word, then our faith starts to weaken and falter. But I also think that God, now God's words will strengthen my faith, but the, the other thing that strengthens my faith, faith is seeing him at work, when I really see him validate things, when I see him working. And there are two ways. One are secondary effects. In other words, what I, I read about his works in the Bible. I read about his works in biographies. Um, I hear my uh, parents, grandparents tell me, about things of old. You know, you talk about when people get old, they start telling stories. Uh, not me, but, uh, but you, know, you hear the stories of God's work. And if it's a person you value and trust, that does make an impact. Some of you have read biographies or you, you, you heard someone sit down and, and tell an amazing story of, of God confirming or validating or doing something. And that really helped you. But I think it's when it happens personally that it has the greatest strength. And I would hope that if you've been a a believer and a follower of Jesus for, for any amount of time at all, that you can look back over your life and remember times that you saw God at work. You saw him act. You saw him help you. Uh, but you need something now. <laughs> and that's usually my argument with God is, Lord, I need something now. Because yes, I do remember, and I thank you for those things, but I need something now, what I'm, I'm going through. I remember back to probably the first time that I experienced God's working or, or a sign that God was real was from reading my Bible. I've shared that with you before, but just graduated from high school. I was challenged to read my Bible, and it start, God started really working in my life and changing my life. So there's probably no greater evidence than when I'm really seeing that it's not just words that I'm reading. There's, there's supernatural, powerful words that I'm reading that God is beginning to transform, change my life, call me to obedience, call me to change, He's, he's working in my life, and I, and I sense that this is real. His Word is real in my life. And then I, then I start feeling this compulsion, this burden to tell other people. And uh, that, that, was, that, that was kind of new to me. You know, should I tell someone else about this? And I, I've shared about how I struggled with public speaking and how the, the thought of that was just was paralyzing to me but also sharing about Jesus Christ. One of, the, one of the most amazing events for me was the summer after I graduated from high school, and I'm, I'm working at a camp. There was a uh, high, uh, the safety patrol camp of Montgomery County Police in Maryland had this camp, and they were training patrol kids uh, who were ride, going from fifth grade into the sixth grade the next year, and they were to be cross guards, you know, the ones that have the... You, some of you remember that. And so they stand there, and they... Stop you, <laughs> all the kids. So they're doing the training. And so I was to be uh, working at the camp, uh, lifeguard, 
doing uh, mowing grass and then stay in the cabin. I'd asked the director, who's a Christian, of the, the camp that they were renting, because I was, I was thinking about this, can I, can I share my faith with these boys? This is a completely secular camp. This was not a Christian camp as far as the, the program. They said, oh, yeah, you can, you can share your faith. This immediately caused me to get nervous. I'm thinking, oh, I was hoping he said, you cannot share your faith. You know, don't do that. I would be relieved. Because I can't talk about Jesus. I just feel relieved. But he said, oh, Matt, you can, you can share your faith if you'd like to. I go, oh. And so I've got 12 boys or 13 boys in my cabin. And then after four days, I get another 13 boys in my cabin and another 13 boys. So I four, week, four groups of guys come into my cabin. And over the next several weeks, I personally was able to lead over 40 boys to Christ. I'm an 18-year-old. I've, I've, and, and, and I saw their lives start to change. They said, can you get us a Bible? Can you get us a Bible? Can you teach us how to study the Bible? Can you, can you teach me how to share my faith with my mom and dad when I go home? And then when I got home, I started getting letters from these guys. And every day I'm getting the mail, I'm getting these letters, and, and they, they call me Mr. Matt. They say, Mr. Matt, can you, can you tell me about how to do this and how to do this, and what does this mean in this scripture? And I'm thinking, this is the, this is the most incredible thing I've ever seen. First of all, it was God changing me, changing my life from being a self-centered, self-absorbed uh, high school graduate to really coming in love with following Jesus. And now, someone who struggled with speaking, struggled with sharing his faith, struggled with even the thought of this, to realize that the power of the gospel not only can change my life, but change all of these boys' lives. And all of those events really were God signifying to me, to Matt Olson, I am real. I'm, it's not just that my parents taught me that. I, I was in church my whole life. And I've been to Sunday school. And I believe in the, the creed and the doctrine. And, and I believe the gospel. But it was not real. And God really was showing me that it was real in a personal, in a powerful way. And I think that all through my life, I've, I've, uh, I've seen God do these. And it's not like every day, but there have, there have also been valley times in my life where I'm struggling a bit, and I'm, I'm saying, Lord, I, I love remembering these stories. I love telling these stories, but I need a story now. <laughs> I, need, I need something. And I'm sure that all of us get to those places where we, we just long for God to give evidence, to give assurance to, to let us know, hey, you're on the right track, you're doing the right thing, and, um, and we pray and we cry out to him in that way. There's nothing like a fresh, personal experience. And I, and I believe this with all my heart, that God delights in doing that. God delights in doing that for us. And so we cry to God, show me a sign. There's a, there's a text, and I know I, I said we're getting to Exodus. We'll get there eventually, and we're not, I'm not doing this whole series on one morning. So just, you don't have to get too nervous. Uh, someone sent me this verse in the New Living Translation. That's why I always say I like, I like reading different translations, see how they translate words. But it's in Psalms 86, 16, and 17. It's written by David. He says, turn to me and be gracious to me. This is David crying out to God. Turn to me and be gracious to me, 
Give your strength to your servant. And then he says, show me a sign of your favor. Show me a sign of your favor. And this, this came to me, came to Diane, that's what, a couple years ago, I think we're thinking, a couple years ago. And, and the, tran- the, the, the other translation was, give me a token Give me a token of your favor. So in other words, God, I need right now just to know you're there. That I have your favor, that I have your blessing. And that that has been like a go-to verse <laughs> for us. Um, I've spent my, since I was 18, which is more than 10 years now, um, I've spent my life focusing on studying God's Word. So I know theology. I know the Bible. I'm convinced it's true and it's real. But, but every day, every week, every month, every new experience has its pressures where, where sometimes I say, Lord, I just need to know you're for me. You're with me. You're there. I'm doing the right thing. So this unfolding story that we'll turn to in Exodus Chapters 1 and 2 is a story of Moses, and, and we get to look at his life and his experiences. He's, he's a unique man because he, he le- we remember Moses as the one who led Israel, God's people, out of bondage and slavery in Egypt. And he led them through the wilderness to the promised land. That's how we Remember Moses is one of the great leaders of all time. He led them. He provided for them. He was, the, he was the, the channel to have water in the middle of the desert, to have bread, to have quail. He governed them. He led them into battle as a military leader. And what we forget sometimes about Moses is he interceded for these people with God. He was described as a man who knew God face to face. Now, God is a spirit, and so it's a, it's a metaphor. But when you say that, that Moses knew God face to face, it means he had a personal, intimate, real relationship with God. So was this a big task? Uh, the Scripture tells us that there were 600,000 men between the ages of 20 and 60, plus women and children. And usually when, when they say plus women and children, there's a lot more. <laughs> they go along with that. But we estimate somewhere between 2.5 and, and 3 million people. Now you think about that. 2.5 and, and 3 million people that he, he led out of Egypt, across the Red Sea, uh, through the wilderness. He had to deal with them. He'd deal with their problems. Deal with, and they're complaining all the time. Can you imagine that? And he leads them up to go into the promised land. Uh, an amazing person. Yet Moses, we're going to see the human side of him. We're going to see where he doubts. He struggles. He, he has fears. He needs assurances. Lord, I, I don't think I can do this. We see that. And I, and, I, and I love it, not because I like to point out someone else's faults, but I love it when people are real <laughs> in the Bible. Because when someone just like doesn't have any faults, I have a really hard time identifying with that. But with Moses, I'm able to identify that. So how does Moses ever get into this story? Because he's, he becomes a central figure of the story, and I think it's really amazing. In Exodus chapter 2 and verse 10, it, it tells us what his name has meant. And we'll, we can go through all of the other pa- this passage here, but it says, when the child grew older, this is verse 10, 
and brought him to, he brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses because she said, I drew him out of the water. So that's what his name means. Uh, Moses means drawn out of the wa- out of the water. So, and this is the picture of him being in the uh, the. This is kind of the miniature ark of the Bible. It's a little little uh, way of hiding him that his mother found, and Pharaoh's daughter took him out of that. But let's. I'd like this morning to to read this quickly. The context of chapters one and two to really help to see that that God is. He hears the cry of the people. Sometimes you wonder, God, are you there? Are you? He hears the cry of the people, and it begins to work. In Exodus 1, verse 1, it says, Now these are the names of the sons of Israel who came. This is uh, his children that came to Egypt with Jacob, each of the household. And this backs up to the, the chapters of Genesis 37 to 50, where we're talking about Joseph, God, uh, through difficult circumstances, he took him to Egypt to prepare to provide for his people. But these are Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, and Benjamin, Dan, and Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. All the descendants of Jacob were 70 persons. Now, how did they get from 70 to two and a half to three million? Well, <laughs> they're, it's a growing family. You can see. And... Uh, they, they went to be with Joseph in Egypt, and when Joseph died, all of his brothers and of that generation, so people die off, but the people of Israel were fruitful, obviously, and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong, so the land was filled with them. So now, now you've gone from 70 people coming in to this land now to two and a half to three million people, and the Egyptians are getting nervous about this because these people just continued to multiply, multiply. And they were not prisoners. They were not slaves. They did not, they did not come as slaves. They came as, as uh, sheep, taking care of sheep, and, and uh, they, they were prospering in the land. And it's really interesting in verse 8, because there's a change. And, and a lot can change when you have a new leader. And it says in verse 8, Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, Behold, the people of Israel are too many for us and too mighty. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. So here is the leader. <clears throat> and it's interesting how even leaders who are, sometimes you wonder, how did they get to be our leader? How, how did this person get to lead us? You ever wonder that at work or in our country? And I'm not picking on anybody, but I'm just saying that, that, that some people are driven by fear. And and when you when you function out of fear, uh, you do a lot of wrong things. We're to function out of faith, but but when a leader when a leader starts to function out of fear, he makes it difficult for everybody. And this is exactly what the sparrow was doing. So the result of that is their fear caused them in verse eleven to set taskmasters over and to afflict them with heavy burdens. They built for Pharaoh store cities, a python and Ramses. But the more they oppressed them, the more they multiplied, the more they spread abroad. And the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel. Verse 13 says, So they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves. Man, it got into slavery. And they made their lives bitter with hard service and mortar and brick. 
and the kinds of work in the field, and in their work they were ruthlessly made them work as slaves. Now, can you imagine this? If you're one of God's people, God's chosen, are you going to be like that wondering, Lord, where are you? Isn't, isn't, shouldn't it be that if I'm God's child, that means blessing? <laughs> and where are you? Aren't you for us? Have you ever wondered that? I have. I mean, I can't say it, it happens all the time, but I've wondered, Lord, are you for me? Are you, are you, are you there? Are you, I know you're there because my head is telling me you're there. I read it. My theology tells me you're there. My heart's not feeling it. So I'm crying out for a sign. You know, I think back to probably one of the most difficult days of my life. Um, it was in the spring of 2013. And, and I still remember something happened. I remember at 8 o'clock at night. And um, get in my car and driving home. And I'm getting ready to walk in the house. And I still remember getting out of my car, and I turned around, and it was a, a night where, you know, because we li- lived in the north woods of Wisconsin. I mean, there's no, there are no street lights up there. And I look up, and it's a full moon. I mean, it was a full moon. And it, there's nothing magical. Well, there really is. I mean, it's 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 God's creation, everything is magical, is amazing. But I'm seeing a full moon, and it's like God just, it was not an audible voice, so you don't get creeped out by this, but I mean, it could have been just as loud. It's a, he said, I'm here, Matt, and I see you, and I'm for you, and I'm going to take care of you. You're doing the right thing. It's like all of that. Because I'm thinking, I'm in a, I'm, it's, the sun's down, the sun's going down, and I felt like that. You know, the sun's going down. There's no light. It's dark. It's dark for me. In my life, dark for me. And it's like the Lord is letting that light shine in the darkness and saying, I'm there. And it was like, and I don't know about for you, if you've had an experience like that where God has just brought something when you needed it to just confirm that. And I still, today, (laughs) Diane says, I know it's the moon. It's like every time I see the moon, I think, you know, it can be full moon, half moon, partial moon. I just think, Lord, that's your promise. It's like a rainbow. The rainbow was for Noah. It's like it's a promise that I'm there. And that was something that I needed then. I did, And I wasn't, I wasn't uh, driving home that night thinking, Lord, give me a sign. But the Lord knew I needed something. He knew I needed something. And so even since that time, there, there have been places in my life where I needed to to be able to know that the Lord was there. Now, when we get into chapter 2 of Exodus, the Lord gives a sign. Now, it's very very limited because all of Israel is not seeing this. But in chapter 2, it says, Now there was a man of the house of Levi, which was the priestly line, which was the priestly line was the spiritual oversight. So you see God is bringing something together. And, And this man took his, took a wife, a Levite woman, and the woman conceived and bore a son. And when she saw that he was a fine, a, a, literally a beautiful child, where she said, well, how can you trust that every mother, everybody says the child's beautiful. Um, all the babies are beautiful. <clears throat> it's, it's, this is inspired word of God. It says, a fine child. She hid him three months. Now, why would she hide him? Because Pharaoh, in the last part of chapter 2, 
is, is made, made, in other words, these people are multiplying too fast. We're going to start killing them. Can you imagine that? I mean, killing the babies. So when they're born, they're given instructions to kill the babies. Now, now that's not working because the, uh, the, the ladies that are supposed to be helping, helping with this and uh, the midwives are, are, are saying, you know what, these women have the babies and then, then, then they're gone. So, so now he's going door to door, house to house, finding out, hear a cry. So Moses, can you imagine being, uh, his mother's name was Jochebed. Can you imagine being that mother and realizing, I just had a wonder, there's nothing more wonderful. Have a son, have a son. It's just a great celebration, but he's come under a death sentence. He'd wish for a girl. <laughs> but if I have a boy now, what am I going to do? Got to try and hide him. Got to try, try to, to hide him. Could you imagine the fear, the, how all of the women, uh, it takes all the joy out of having, having something, something really bad, something really bad is happening. So Moses could not be born in a, in a worse time. And it says in verse 3, when she could hide him no longer, she took him and made a basket of bulrushes and, and daubed it with uh, bitumen and pitch. And she put the child in it and placed it among the reeds by the riverbank. That's going to sound extreme. So I'm trying to protect my child from dying, but I'm going to put him in a river which he could die by all the things that could happen to this, the vulnerability of a child being put in a river. I mean, there are, there are all kinds of creatures in that river <laughs> kill that child. And so you feel like all this news, all this sad thing. And so while this is happening, uh, Miriam, uh, her other, her daughter, is, is watching for her mom, keeping an eye on, on that basket and the, floating the bulrushes. And so someone's on watch, watching this. And then, oh, the worst thing is going to happen. What happens is now the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river while her young women walked beside the river. And, and she saw the basket among the reeds and sent her servant woman, and she took it. You're thinking, oh, no, we're done. We're done. We can put that baby to death. All this is bad news. But you see something happen here. When she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the baby was crying. Now, if it was a, it was a guy that found this, probably handed it to someone else. <laughs> the baby is crying. She took pity on him, and she said, this is, this is one of the Hebrew's children. She knew that it was a Hebrew child. And she said, and, and then his sister, Miriam, runs up to Pharaoh's daughter and says, shall I go and call to you a nurse from the Hebrews, a woman to nurse the child for you? And she says, yes. So now women, when they talk about nursing the child, taking care of the child, weaning the child, is typically probably for the next three to five years, probably closer to five years of, of caring for that child as an infant. So you just see the amazing, the amazing sovereignty of God and the goodness of God in this. God has protected little Moses. He's drawn up out of the water. He is under a death sentence. He's going to be killed. He's going to be destroyed. Pharaoh's daughter finds him, which seems to be a bad thing, but actually is a good thing because she wants him, takes him, is going to take him into the palace, but I'm not ready for him yet. So these first few years of nurturing and developing it, it really stuck because when you read in, in Acts chapter 7, it says that Mo- Moses had been impacted by his mother. I mean, he, he, had been, he had been nurtured by his birth mother. Then he's put into to 
Pharaoh's house and it becomes in line for succession to be the next Pharaoh. That, that's how amazing that is. And he gets all of the privilege of education, <clears throat> all of the privilege of royalty. And we'll get into more of that next week. But <clears throat> can you imagine what his mom was thinking? <laughs> I mean, this, this, is just, this is just amazing. That God has heard the groaning of his people. He hears and he feels when we speak about God knowing and caring, this is an expression of this. And, and he is, the sign is that he brings in Moses into the most difficult times. On a personal, as a mom and dad, you say on a personal front, what, what this means. And what this means for the whole nation with Moses being born this way. And then now for the whole world, because the whole world is impacted by it. But I, but I say all that to bring us to a, a bigger picture. Can you ever, can you, can you think of any other place in the Bible where a baby is born and the king starts slaughtering everyone? See, remember I talk about a bigger picture? Because everything in the Old Testament is really pointing to the person and work of Jesus Christ. He is a central figure of all the Bible. And everything in the Old Testament is leading to pointing to Jesus Christ, because Jesus Christ is not the end of all things. He is the means to all things. So we have an amazing picture. Jesus, when he was born in the fullness of time, it says in Galatians, that God sent forth his son in the, in the full right time. He was born under Roman rule and persecution, Roman oppression. Herod the king was out to destroy all of the male children. And so this has been predicted. Isaiah the prophet, 700 years before that, in, in chapter 7 says, says, therefore the Lord himself will give you a, a sign. The Lord himself will give you a sign. He's going to give you a sign. What is a sign? He said, a virgin will conceive and bear a son, and you'll call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. In chapter 9, verse 6, unto us a child is born, a son is given, the government shall be upon his shoulder, his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. And then in Luke chapter 2, this is the, all through the New Testament, but in Luke, uh, chapter 2, it, it's, uh, he says, uh, the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Um, this is a sign. He says, I, I'm giving you a sign. That you in, in verse 12, he says, this will be a sign for you. You find the babe wrapped in swaddling coat, clothes and lying in a manger. Isn't that amazing? How the story of Moses and of Israel is a real story. This is a real happening. This is a real historical event. And it does matter of God showing his sovereignty and his goodness and rescuing his people but it's pointing to an even greater rescue. Because when Jesus comes and rescues, he rescues us out of the slavery of sin, not the slavery to a physical earthly people. Remember we're talking a little bit about our politics and everything? There, there's what's going on on earth, but there's what's going on in eternity. And so Jesus has come to rescue us out of a slavery and bondage to sin, to walk in newness of life, and to enter into the eternal promised land called heaven. I love the way the Bible unfolds. <clears throat> it's like you read the story, but there's even a better story. How do you think Joseph and Mary felt? They're kind of blown away. 
they're, they're having, they have this baby born, and they're slaughtering all the babies because of him, and the angel comes to them and says, flee to, do you know where they were supposed to flee to? Of all places in the world. Flee to Egypt. <laughs> and that's why it says, out of Egypt, I will call my son. I love this. <clears throat> I love this story. Because here's, here's the message, and what I, what I want you to walk away with as we get into this series, is that our faith is weak. It's weak. We have theology, we have doctrine, we have Bible, we have stories from grandparents, we have, we have stories of biographies, but what we long for is the current, present reality, the evidence of God. And He delights to give us a sign. He doesn't usually do it in the way we ask. <laughs> Say, Lord, I would like it on Friday. I need it today. <clears throat> God will work the way He wants to work. He works through His Word. He works through His works, His promises and assurances. As we look at the life of Moses and the people of God over the next eight weeks, we're going to see how often they cry out for things and how God is constantly at work to communicate to them his reality. God proves himself to his people, and he will prove himself to you. He will. That's what's, that's what's so exciting about the way God works. And when we can start to see, to step back, how he's done this with Israel, how he's done this with Christ... And how he does that with us, it strengthens our faith and it brings a joy to us that to me is, is beyond what the world will ever, ever be able to comprehend or ever be able to know. Let's bow together as we pray. Father, we know that you care for us, that you love us, that you see us in our difficulties. We know that because you told us that. We read about all the examples of it, the assurances of it. We've seen it witnessed around us. And we've even seen it in the past in our own lives often. But Lord, we need these things today. And I pray that we would realize that you desire in such a loving and kind way to validate for us personally who you are and your reality. I pray that you do that for us. And sometimes the cry, the heart cry, show me a sign is not one out of faith, it's out of fear. We know that, Lord, we're frail, we're weak. But Lord, I pray that you would bring many convincing proofs for us and strengthen our faith Help us see the big picture. Help us to see what you're working toward. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.